It is a real pleasure. It's a real joy to be here with you and to get to open the Word of God with you. I am always humbled by and grateful for these opportunities. I'm also reminded each time I get to come to high school, what amazing music you have. Oh my goodness, I just love it. And I'm not supposed to sing before I speak because it makes my voice weird, uh, but I couldn't even help it. We got to One Pure and Holy Passion. That's my favorite song in just the, the whole world. We don't sing it in big church. We don't sing it in middle school. And Spotify does not have a version that sounds anything like this. And so uh, that was a real treat. And also, I turn 50 next year. It's a big one. If you wonder what to get me, ask them to record that. That's what I want. I want y'all singing One Pure and Holy Passion. That was so good. Okay. Usually, when Justin puts out the teaching calendar, he puts it out a few months at a time. And he tells me, Crystal, just look at the dates that work for you and tell me uh, if you want to turn. And I tell you that this morning because I want to let you know that I asked for this morning. We never split a high school on a Sunday morning, right? Uh, but we get to this morning, and it's because Justin went to a lot of work to make that happen. He found another, I mean, we have three services now, right? It's, it's difficult on a Sunday morning to find a whole other place to teach. And he just led all the boys, like, all the way to the south building. It's 40-something degrees outside. And I want us to not take that for granted. That's on purpose because Justin and our elders uh, really shepherd us well. And they went to the work to let us have this time together this morning. All right, so we are going to continue in our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. And this morning we come to the end of chapter 6. So who can tell me what is the theme of 1 Corinthians? And I forget. They tell me that high schoolers don't love to answer questions in lesson. I reject that truth. I am fully confident you're going to participate. So what is the theme of 1 Corinthians? Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Yes, it is correction and condemnation. We recently started the section where Paul has begun correcting the sinful behaviors that the church has been allowing to go on, right? And so our text this morning specifically addresses sexual sin. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what does the Bible say about it, how we are to conduct ourselves, and why it matters. And I wanted you to know, we didn't get split because I got stuck with the awkward topic. I, I promise you, Justin is completely capable of teaching the whole group and doing a fantastic job. We got split because I asked for this chance to be with you this morning, girls, because it is so important. You see, all too often, we're sitting in big church and we come to a text that addresses sexual sin. And we as women, young women, we check out. And we mistakenly think, oh, this is one of those passages for the boys. And this is the kind of thing they struggle with. And we just don't talk about this temptation and this sin issue like we need to, like we should. I've had the privilege of serving in youth ministry and women's ministry for many years now. And in all of that time, I have had many, many opportunities to talk with women of all ages young and old, single and married, that struggle with this temptation and issues of sexual sin. And do you know what almost all of them have in common? The woman struggling feels like she's totally alone, that other women don't struggle in this area, and that's why no one ever talks about it, because no one else is struggling. And so there's no one she can go to or seek counsel from 
but it's just not so. And so I hope you'll see together this morning in our text that it is extremely relevant and helpful and necessary for all of us, regardless of your age or relationship status. But before we dig into the word of God, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we love you. We are so thankful that while we were yet unlovable, you chose to set your love on us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it contains all we need for life and godliness. Lord, thank you for leaving us clear instructions of how we can live in a manner that glorifies you. I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help me speak clearly. I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth, your word. Help us be convicted if there are areas that need conviction. Help us ultimately, Lord, to leave today with a greater desire to obey you and bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Can anyone tell me what the chief end of man is? Yes, ma'am. Yes, exactly. Also, side note, man means mankind. It's also the chief end of woman, right? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. As believers, our chief priority is to glorify God, right? And what we're going to learn from the text this morning is how we can glorify God with our bodies. So turn with me in your Bibles to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. So verse 12 begins. All things are permitted for me, but not all things are benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. However, God will do away with both of them. But the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will he also raise us up through his power? Do you not know that your bodies are parts of Christ? Shall I then take away the parts of Christ and make them parts of a prostitute? Far from it. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. All right, so the title of our lesson this morning is living in light of the cost. Living in light of the cost. We're going to see together that Christians have been bought with a price, and we must live in light of that truth. So let's dig in. Just to give you a heads up, we have three points on our outline today. Most of our, point, most of our time will be spent on number two and number three. <clears throat> All right. Big number one on your outline is the proper perspective. The proper perspective. Verses 12 through 17 set the scene, and they give us some important foundational information about sexual sin. Now, you might already know, in fact, you probably already know, because we're into the sixth chapter of Corinthians, that the culture in Corinth was gross, like really gross. In Corinth during that time, sexual sin reigned, 
and people pursued their fleshly passions with reckless abandonment. People did what they want, when they want, how they want. And temple worship for pagans included sexual activity dedicated to their gods, and there were temple prostitutes that the people of Corinth were regularly having relations with. In fact, relations with a prostitute was so common in Corinth that it came to be called Corinthianizing. There was a mindset in that culture that Paul is addressing here. In verse 13, he says, food is for the stomach and stomach is for food. However, God will do away with both of them. You see, Greek philosophy considered everything physical, including the body, to be basically evil and therefore of no value. And so what was done with or to the body didn't matter. Food was food, the stomach was the stomach, pleasure was for the body, right? And so sex was just a biological function like eating and could be used to satisfy your appetite. And so the believers at Corinth, surrounded by this culture, were rationalizing their sin. And they had been involved in this kind of behavior before coming to Christ, and so it was hard for them to break the habits and easy to fall back into. And they were allowing behaviors in the church they had no business allowing. Now I want to pause and ask you, does the culture at Corinth sound familiar to you? Yes, right? The world we're living in today sounds a lot like that. Okay, it's true. We don't have temple prostitutes. (laughs) Okay, that's true. But our culture is certainly up to its eyeballs in sexual sin and pursuing the passions of the flesh. The world around us, girls, is screaming at us all the time to do whatever feels good. Do whatever you want to do in the moment. You don't have to deny yourself anything. There's illicit material available to you 24 hours a day. Our culture is every bit as wicked as the one Paul was writing to. And he's telling the Corinthians, what are you doing? Why are you acting like the wicked culture around you? We are the body of Christ. We are one with Christ. We cannot conduct ourselves in this way. It does not fall under Christian liberty to use our bodies for sinful activity. This must not be. And then in verse 18, Paul gets serious. And he's going to tell them very straightforwardly how they're going to deal with this issue. And so big number two on your outline is the clear command. Verse 18 begins with flee sexual immorality. This is a command, girls. It's not a suggestion. But it's not just a command. It's also a warning. Flee sexual immorality. Well, I want to start with the what. What's included in the term immorality? Immorality includes all sexual sin. So included in this word is adultery, premarital sex, pornography, incest, homosexuality. Included in this word is all sexual thought or deed that goes outside of God's design for sex in marriage. So practically, this includes any sexual relationship outside of marriage. It includes lust. It includes pornography. It includes watching movies or videos on your phone that have explicit content. It includes sexual thoughts about someone you're not married to. 
It includes sexual conversations or texts or emails with someone you're not married to. It includes coveting someone physically. And so that's not an exhaustive list, but as you can see, there's a lot wrapped up in that word, right? And so it's certainly relevant to all of us. Well, now that we've covered what's included, let's move on to how. How are we supposed to act in light of that command? We are supposed to flee. We are told to flee immorality. I love how Paul does not beat around the bush here, right? He doesn't mince words. He is clear and he is straight to the point. And I think that Paul is so direct in giving this command to the church at Corinth because he knew they needed to hear it. But girls, so do we. He reminds the Corinthians they have been made new. They have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're being sanctified. And because of that truth, they are not to behave like the unrighteous. They're not to be fornicators and adulterers. And Paul is warning them, sexual sin is nothing to be messed around with. This is not to be taken lightly. Being tempted in this way is not a chance to prove your spiritual strength. Right? Putting yourself in a position where you are going to be vulnerable or tempted in this way is not a chance to flex your spiritual maturity muscles. Right? No. Sexual sin is nothing to be flirted with. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that the devil is like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. And enticing someone to commit sexual sin is a pretty effective way of swallowing them up. So we must be on guard. We must be trained to see the danger signs and ready to make a run for it. The word flee literally means seek safety by flight or escape safely out of danger. Well, that paints a really clear picture, right? Seek safety by flight. Escape safely from the danger of sexual sin. Flee is an incredibly strong verb. It doesn't leave wiggle room. Think about the options Paul could have chosen. He could have said, when you find yourself in a situation that's tempting for you, walk away. He could have said, run, hustle, sprint. He chose flee, the strongest verb possible. He is saying, girl, don't just walk. Don't just run fly out of there, right? Get away from this temptation. It reminds me of Joseph um, when he served Potiphar, right? And Potiphar's naughty wife was coming after him, and he's the stand-up guy, right? And Potiphar's trusted him with everything, and his, he goes away, and his naughty wife comes after Joseph, and Joseph's like, ah! I'm also, you know, I'm ad-libbing, but you get the point. So, so he comes at Joseph like, ah! He, what does he do? He flees. He runs away from her so fast that he leaves his coat behind. Did he ever stop to say, how can I explain this in a way that doesn't hurt her feelings? No, right? Did he consider, well, I want to make sure she doesn't think I'm mean. Well, did I, did I lead her on? Did I, did I make her think that maybe this was okay? Should I explain it? So, girl, no. He ran. He said, have my curl, I'm out, right? Have the coat. And he got, he seeked safety by flight. That's what we're supposed to do here. If we're going to flee from immoral thought, speech, or acts, we cannot allow ourselves 
to flirt with the idea of what if. We cannot allow ourselves to text things we have no business saying or entertain lustful thoughts or rationalize or excuse speech and behavior that we know is not God-honoring. You see, sexual sin is a slippery slope. In all the conversations I've had over the years, girls, I have never once spoke with someone who woke up one morning and said, today, I'm going to destroy my life. I have never once spoken with a young, pregnant, unmarried woman that planned to be in this situation. I've never once spoken with a wife who's had an adulterous affair, her husband is devastated, her family is in shambles because she planned it to be that way. It doesn't work like that. It's one small compromise at a time. It's one small indiscretion after another until before you know it, you find yourself in a position you never thought you'd be in, wondering, how did I let myself get here? Girls, we have to be careful with our thoughts so that we can be careful with our emotions, so that we can be careful with our words, so that we can be careful with our bodies. This sin issue is a progression that we must intentionally stay far, far away from. And, and sexual sin brings with it some heavy consequences. The rest of verse 18 says, every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, hear me when I say this, and, and my pumpkin middle schoolers are getting this lesson on Wednesday. They're getting a softer version. <laughs> but we got to talk about it, girls. I wouldn't be doing you a favor to give you a soft version, right? You're in it. You need to know what the Bible says about it. I need to say out loud that sex is not a sin. Sex is a good gift from the Lord. Did you hear me say that? A sexual relationship inside of marriage, according to God's design, is an incredible, beautiful, wonderful thing. A physical relationship brings two people together and unites them into one flesh. And the intimacy of that union is deeper and closer than anything else possible. And so because of that, it's powerful. But like all of God's good gifts, sinful man has found ways to misuse it and to pervert it. And it has real consequences. And some of the consequences are physical, including um, health issues that will harm your body. Some of the consequences are relational, including divorce and broken relationships and hurting people you care about. Some consequences are emotional and personal, and they are just as devastating as the others. Consequences like shame, the shame that comes from sexual sin is so real. Women who have fallen in this area are often buried under the incredible weight of shame. Satan is a liar, right? And he's, he's a great one. He is actively trying to trick believers into buying into his lies and getting you to doubt the truths of God's word. Well, he's particularly crafty when it comes to sexual sin. You see, before you sin, when you're still being tempted, 
when you're still considering sinning in this way. He wants you to believe, girls, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Everybody acts this way. Everybody's doing it. Everybody looks at stuff like this. Everybody, it's just flirting. It's just a text. It's just a picture. What could it hurt? Yeah, your parents have said no. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to date him. You're not allowed to hang out with him. But he's so cute and he really likes you. And so what harm could come from spending time together? And you believe the lie that it's not that big a deal. And you let your guard down. And you let yourself meditate on thoughts you should not be having. And you make compromises that you should not be making. And you fall. You take the bait and you sin. And then Satan, who in John 8:44 is called the father of all lies, wants you to believe another lie. Now that you've sinned, he wants you to be filled with shame. He wants you to feel unworthy, unlovable, and unforgivable. He wants you to feel totally helpless and totally alone. Nobody else would have done what you did. How could you have done that? You're too far gone now. There's no hope for you. But the truth is, girls, that both of those scenarios are a complete and total lie. Girls, we must fight the temptation to think or speak or act immorally. It is a big deal. It is not okay to sin against a holy God. It is not okay to pervert his good gift of a sexual relationship inside of marriage. For one thing, acting immorally, sinning in this way, is one of the most visible ways that we can bring shame to the name of Jesus. How many people can you think of? High-profile people, preachers, like leaders of churches, that end up being all over the news because the details of their illicit behavior came to light and they were exposed. Unfortunately, you can probably think of several. And every time one of those public figures that has spent years proclaiming the name of Christ, sharing the gospel, gets exposed for his sexual misconduct and immoral behavior, the name of Jesus gets dragged through the mud too, right? The world has a brand new opportunity to say, see, there's nothing different about those Christians. They're just like everyone else. This reality, this alone, should be enough to make us want to fight the fight against immorality and flee from this temptation. Now, none of us are famous, and so, uh, I mean, our sin is not going to be spread across the internet. Praise God. But, but make no mistake, um, sins of this nature are still very visible within our circles, right? Sadly, we hear all too often about someone we know falling into sexual sin. And I don't just mean adults, girls. You know. You know more than we do when your friends and your teammates, classmates, people at youth are struggling in this way. And sinful choices are often rationalized or excused with things like, God wants me to be happy. Girls, God wants you to obey. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And here's the part that you really need to understand. God's word is what's best for you. God's plan is what's best for you. It, they are a protection over you. We cannot make the mistake of thinking 
that disobeying God would ever bring joy. Sin is a lie and cannot deliver what it promises. Sexual sin sure does deliver on the consequence part, though. Apart from shaming the name of Christ, families are broken, lives are ruined, people feel hopeless. And so we need to remind ourselves of the truth that joy, peace, contentment only come from walking with the Lord, from obeying him. They do not come from our circumstances. They do not come from pursuing what our flesh desires. We cannot let our emotions be an excuse for sinful behavior. From Genesis to Revelation, we see that obedience brings blessing. Sin brings consequence. Pray. Obey. Wait for your feelings to catch up. Did you hear that? If you're struggling with temptation, struggling with, man, I really, I really want to do this, but I know I'm not supposed to. Pray. Obey. Wait for your feelings to catch up. Now let's go back to the other side of the lie that Satan would just love for us to believe. We talked about not buying into the lie that sexual sin isn't a big deal, that it can be harmless. We know that's not true. Now let's talk about the lie that if you have sinned in this way, that you must now hide in shame, that you are now unworthy and unforgivable. Girls, that is an absolute lie. Jesus Christ, our merciful Savior, fully God, fully man, came to earth lived a perfect life, was mocked, spit on, beaten, crucified on a cross, died an unimaginable death to pay the price for every sin of every person who will ever believe in him. He shed his blood to pay for your sin, to pay for the sin that you never thought you were capable of committing to pay for the sin that has you buried so deep in shame you feel like you can't breathe. He shed his blood for you. He is enough. He is perfect. And he, know, he knows you never could be, that you need your Savior to be reconciled to a holy God. If you have sinned in this way, I plead with you, dwell in shame no longer. If you have never repented and placed your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, do so today. He will make you a new creation. Old things will pass away. Old garbage will pass away. And new things will come, like hope and the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer and you have fallen in this way, get on your face, girl, and cry out to the God who loves you. He knows. He knows your circumstances. He knows your grief. He knows your shame. Repent. Cry out like David did in Psalm 51 and ask the Lord to create a clean heart in you. Do not let sin separate you from the God who loves you a moment longer. We have a God who delights to save and delights to forgive. Our God is not a stingy forgiver. Well, if we're going to be successful in fighting the fight and fleeing immorality, it's helpful to have safeguards in place. We need to have boundaries, right? Protections set up ahead of time 
for when the moments of temptation come. Girls, long before our actions ever take place, they were thoughts we mold over. They were ideas that we let marinate in our mind. Sexual sin doesn't just happen one day out of the blue. There are many little steps, red flags, warning signs that are ignored along the way. And so our boundaries need to start way back here, like way far away from the cliff, so that we don't ever come close to falling overboard. And I have some ideas for safeguards that I'm going to mention to you in case they're helpful. Uh, I do want to be clear, though, this is not thus saith the Lord. These are my ideas for safeguards that could be helpful for you. All right, safeguard number one. And this is true whether you're single or married. Uh, it's helpful for youth and youth leaders alike, <laughs> right? It is a good idea not to be alone in a room with a man that you're not married to. Now, of course, that might be an occasion that, that's briefly necessary, but for the most part, this is a really good rule of thumb. If you're never alone with him, there's not any room for misunderstanding or miscommunication. There's not any room to say something you'd be embarrassed if someone else heard you say. Also, side note, girls, if by not being alone in a room with a man, you are protected from him pursuing you in a manner that's inappropriate or unwelcomed, if there's someone else in the room, you have backup. All right, safeguard number two. Be careful and intentional with what you let yourself watch. I'm going to say this includes porn. This includes sexually explicit movies that are in and of themselves sinful. Girls, just because the standards of what's okay are plummeting all around us, that does not mean that God's standard has changed. Pornography is sin. It is not an issue of Christian liberty. We must flee from this immoral behavior, no matter how normal it seems to be getting. If you struggle with this, get radical with your sin. Talk to your mom. Tell your mom. Let her know this is an issue for you. She might be surprised at first, but your mom is on your side, girls. Your mom is one of the best resources God has given you. She wants to help you be successful in this way. Ask her to set parental controls on your phone to restrict adult content. Put your computer in a public room of your house. Make it hard for you to sin. If you don't live with your mom, or you don't have the option to talk with her about something like this, talk to your small group leader. I'm serious. We talk about that all the time. Go see your small I'm serious, girls. We love you. We show up every single Wednesday and every single Sunday because we love God and because we love you. And we're not new at the idea of sin. <laughs> right? You're, you're not going to ruffle our feathers. It's okay. You're not going to shock us or disappoint us. We want to help you. We want to help you obey and honor God. If you are struggling with this, go talk to your accountability, your small group leader, and ask them to be your accountability partner. Tell them the parameters that you're putting in place. Ask them to check in on you. It also includes being careful with what you watch. I'm going to use an example which I've, I've seen this movie, but it was not a good movie. <laughs> and I'm not going to use it. Never mind. I'm not doing that. All right. It includes um, 
and includes romantic movies, love stories um, that make you struggle with contentment, okay? So if you're watching a romantic movie and it leaves you coveting a relationship the Lord has not given you, or it leaves you wanting a boyfriend even though your parents have said we're not there yet and you may not, quit watching, right? Being careful in this area also includes the apps you have on your phone. Now, some apps like TikTok and Snapchat get more bad press than others, but the truth is there's explicit content on like every app if you're looking for it. I just read a article that said there was a sex trafficking ring that was busted inside the game of Minecraft. So, um, obviously, avoid dangerous, no good apps. But even if you're on Pinterest and something pops up that's garbage, get off. Make no provision. We need to be careful with what we're putting before our eyes. Let Philippians 4.8 be your filter. Is what you're looking at true? honorable, excellent, worthy of praise? If not, quit looking. Safeguard number three. Be intentional in your communication with boys. I, I don't know that all of you are allowed to text boys. I don't even know that all of you have a smartphone, but I would venture to say probably most of you are. And I would suggest that you do so with all caution. Before you hit send, ask yourself, would I be okay if my dad read this text? Would I be okay with it if his mom saw this text? If the answer is not an immediate yes, delete. Don't send it. I would also suggest that you have a designated time at night to put your phone up. Late night texting often does not go well. I don't know what it is, about being in your room at 11 o'clock at night that makes people think that they are context things they would never say out loud, but it happens. I've raised two boys. I monitored their phones. I've seen texts from precious Christian young women that would make you blush. It's way easier to text something than it is to say it out loud. So put your phone up. Protect yourself from that temptation. Well, those are just a few ideas of boundaries or safeguards, but you think through specific areas that you know you're vulnerable in when it comes to immorality, and then put in place high walls that will help protect your mind, your heart, and your body. Well, in Scripture, whenever we are given a behavior or a sin issue to put off, there is a corresponding biblical truth or virtue that we must put on in its place. It's not enough to just decide that we're not going to sin anymore, right? We must actively put off the sin and put on truth to help us in the battle. As we seek to put off sexual immorality, we must put on the incredible love of God. We know that sinful, immoral behavior cannot deliver what it promises. Having a sexual relationship outside of marriage is never going to make you feel satisfied or cherished, or protected, or cared for, or truly loved. It can't. It's sin. Sin is not capable of delivering those things. But we can put off sin, and we absolutely can put on the real love, real contentment, real acceptance, real joy, 
and real forgiveness as we put on the love of our great God. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Believer, your Savior died for you. And he laid down his life to bring you to himself, to cover you, to protect you, and to care for you. And Titus 3.5 says he did all of that while we were totally unlovable. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That, girls, is what love looks like. We must remind, be mindful that our first love is our Savior. Every other relationship in our life comes after that one. Let's not forsake our first love. If we are looking for earthly relationships to satisfy and fulfill us like only our Savior can, then we will be disappointed every time. It is very normal to daydream about the day you might be married, about what your husband will be like one day, to think who the Lord might bring into your life, to imagine what that will all be like. It's very normal. But be careful that you don't let that become an idol to you. Your future husband, whoever he is, will be a sinner. <laughs> he cannot be where your hope lies. For us married women, Joe Garcia is my favorite person on planet Earth. I promise you that. But our husbands can never be what Christ should be in our hearts. Don't let yourself believe that any man will be everything you've built, up him, built him up to be in his mind and that he will completely fulfill you and life will be perfect once you get married. <laughs> it's just not so. Christ is to be first in your heart. His love is perfect because he is perfect. His love is unchanging because he is unchanging. His love is merciful and compassionate because he himself is merciful and compassionate. Steve Lawson says in his book, Show Me Your Glory, in the midst of our busy lives, let us never lose sight of God's constant care for us. His love never stops giving to meet our needs. He is always going ahead of us to prepare the way. He comes behind us to protect us. He's under us to support us. He's beside us to encourage us. He's in us to strengthen us. We're forever immersed in the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of his great and glorious love. Praise the Lord for the perfect way he loves us. Well, if we're going to truly put on the love of God, we need to be in his word. Uh, Will read it for us this morning, Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We must be in the word of God so that our minds can be renewed, so that we can be transformed. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm going to quit this sinful behavior, and I know that God loves me. No, girls, no. You need to see his love for you on the pages of scripture. You need to see his very character on display, page after page. You need to see how seriously God takes sin and remind, be reminded of what the real standard is. You need to see heroes of the faith, like David, were also vulnerable and susceptible to sin, and then see how the Lord restored him when he cried out in repentance. Girls, you need to see 
in the pages of scripture who God says you are, who he has made you to be, what you are worth, and that you do not need to settle for the less that this world offers. We must be in the Word so that we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. When we pack our minds with truth, the Holy Spirit has all that fuel to recall to mind when we find ourselves in a moment of temptation. If we're going to be successful in the battle, we need to have our weapon. The Word of God is our sword. Pick up your sword, girls. Be ready for war. Well, this brings us to my favorite part. I think it's the best part. Okay, big number three. The mighty motivation. And mighty, okay, but everything else had alliteration, so yes. You could say the mighty motivation, the really big motivation, whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> Verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. If all of the warnings and the danger of immoral behavior and the consequences of failing in this way wasn't enough to motivate you to stay far away from the temptation, these two verses give believers more motivation to obey and flee immorality than we could ever need. Christian, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Let's break it down. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have from God. Now, there's two different Greek words used for temple, and it helps us actually really get a clear picture by understanding the difference of the two. All right, so the first word, which Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, speaks of the whole temple area, the whole temple grounds. That is not our word. The word that's used here, translated as temple, speaks of the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, the place where the very presence of God was. That's our word. Your body is the place the very presence of God dwells. There's no such thing as committing sinful acts in secret. Because wherever you go, Christian, you bring the very presence of God with you. <laughs> You, you might be familiar with the one-on-one -on -one discipleship program here at Countryside called Partners. In fact, I think several of you have even already completed it. Well, in the last chapter of Partners, you talk with your partner about Christian liberty and about holy living in an unholy world. And you talk about these different areas that are considered liberty, and you ask yourself questions like, would you be comfortable engaging in this activity if a fellow believer saw you? Would you cause a young believer to stumble if they saw you participating in this activity? But the question that really grabbed my attention was, would you be embarrassed if your pastor walked in when you were participating in this activity? And I was like, ah! Like, that really made me stop and think, what if I was watching this movie and Pastor Tom walked in? What if Pastor Tom walked in and I was laughing at that joke? Well, the truth is, Pastor Tom is just a person like you and me. He is a servant of the one true God. It should be far more of a gut check to remind ourselves we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and he has a front row seat to all of the choices we make. You wouldn't walk into the worship center and throw on a rated R movie with scenes in it that would make you blush, would you? <laughs> like, of course not. But the truth is, the worship center is no different than your bedroom 
when you're watching your, on your, something on your phone at 11 o'clock at night. If we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are the sanctuary in which he dwells. So treat your body accordingly. Treat your body with the dignity it deserves, being the temple of the Holy Spirit. The second part of that verse says you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Now, there's a lot about our text this morning that just flies in the face of the culture around us, right? So much of it that is absolutely countercultural. But this one's probably the biggest. <laughs> you are not your own because you have been bought with a price. Now, our country has been celebrating a slogan for years now, my body, my choice. You've probably all heard that before. And we see in here all around us all the time, it's my body, so it's my right. I can do whatever I want to do. No, not if you're a believer, not if you are a follower of Christ. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. In the ancient world, there was three ways that a person could come into being enslaved. They could come into slavery. You could be born into slavery. You could become a slave as a result of a conquest. Or you could become a slave because of a debt you owe. Well, the truth is, before Christ, we are enslaved to sin for all three of those reasons. We were born into a sin nature. We fall into slavery to sin as a result of being conquered by our own sinful desires and actions, and we owe a debt that we could never repay, no matter how much time we had to try and work it off. We were all enslaved to sin, but God, but God, this quote is from Charles Spurgeon. It's a little bit long. Man, is it worth it. Listen, okay? Charles Spurgeon said, look back to the day when you were bought, when you were a bond slave to your sin, when you were under the just sentence of divine justice, when it was inevitable that God should punish you for your transgressions. And remember how the Son of God became your substitute how he bared his back to the lash that should have fallen on you. He laid his soul beneath the sword that should have quenched its fury in your blood. You were redeemed then, redeemed from the punishment that was due to you, redeemed from the wrath of God, redeemed under Christ forever. Isn't that awesome? Your savior paid your ransom with his blood. And because the Lord paid your ransom, you belong to him. And so logically, it makes sense that he gets to decide what is for you and what isn't. He is to be the Lord of your life. You pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow him because he purchased you. You don't get to have Jesus as your Savior and not as your Lord. You don't get to say, yep, I am all in for that get out of hell part. That's all me, but I'm going to go ahead doing me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It does not work like that. Christ redeemed us. He ransomed us so that we could be set free. Believers, we are set free from the power of sin. We are set free from being enslaved to our lusts and desires. But believer, you were not set free so that you could go on dwelling in the muck and the mire. You were not set free so that you could go on indulging your sinful flesh. No. Just a few verses before our text, Paul is reminding the Corinthians that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, such were some of you. Were, not are. 
If you have been justified by faith, you have been set free from the power of sin. Well, set free to what? We are free to follow Christ. We are free to learn what the word of God says. We are free to love our Savior. We are free to praise and worship his name. Christian, the truth is that being bought with the price is the most important thing that will ever be true about you. At the end of your days, when you stand in judgment before the Lord, and the great accuser is there with a list of all your wrongs, all your sins, and he's trying to shame you, and he's trying to prove how unworthy you are, it will be then that you can say, all of that is true about me, but my account has been paid in full. I have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. I am redeemed. And you will spend eternity in the presence of the king. On that day, right, you will see his face, worshiping him, delighting him with all of his people. Lord, haste the day. Well, our text this morning comes with application built in for us. Verse 20 finishes, therefore, glorify God with your body. This is our application this morning, ladies. Therefore, in light of, in light of the incredible reality that you are not your own, you have been bought with a price, you have been redeemed, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because of all of that, you get to flee sexual immorality. You get to denounce wicked behavior. You get to not settle for the less, the profane, the lies that this world has to offer. You get to pass on all of that trash. And you get to live in light of the cost. You get to follow hard after Christ. You get to have one pure and holy passion his glory. Submit your mind and your heart and your will to your Savior, treating your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, glorifying God in all that you do. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful that you chose to set your love on us. We are so thankful, Lord, that you have given us clear instructions as to how we are to follow hard after you. And Lord, we are also so thankful for your grace and mercy. We praise you that you are a God who delights to save. You are a God who delights to forgive. Help us see where we're falling short in this area. Give us awareness. Help us hate our sin so that we will be strengthened to fight our sin. Lord, increase our desire to live our lives in a way that bring glory to your name. If we need help, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would embolden and make brave the young ladies who need to ask for help. Equip the youth leaders, help them be godly resources, willing to come alongside any who seek help. We praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, that this life is about you and your glory, not about us. Use us in any way you choose for the good of your kingdom and the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.